so thanks for joining us today. Uh, we have a very special podcast episode for you today. We are joined by three very special guests um, from the Black and Appalachia podcast and project. Um, we have Dr. Nkechi Elamin, sociologist of race and place at the University of Tennessee. We've got William Isom, who is, um, I believe, director of the Black and Appalachia Project, and Angela Dennis, um, journalist. Hello, how are you? I'm pretty good. Do you, do you all want to go around and, and maybe just introduce yourselves, um, say a little bit about yourselves, that way we can associate a voice <laughs> with the name, and also, if you want, uh, say pronouns. So, I'm Terrence, I'm he, him. I'm in Keshi Alameen. I am she, her. Um, uh, like you said, I am a, um, I'm sorry, <clears throat> sociologist uh, uh, at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville currently. Um, I'm also hosting and um, producing the Black and Appalachia podcast. Um, I study Black Knoxville within the context of Appalachia. I'm engaged in a lot of community sociology. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's good. Great. It's awesome. And I'm Angela Dennis. I am a journalist. Um, I am also an editor for a black media company called Black With No Chaser. And my most recently, I was um, brought on with the Knox News Sentinel, which is part of the USA Today Network, as a reporter of social justice and race. Awesome. Angela got a real job. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, uh, I'm William Isom. I'm the director, he, him. I'm the director of the uh, Black and Appalachia Project here at East Tennessee PBS, public television in Knoxville. I'm from Morristown, Tennessee, which is east of here. Yeah. Awesome. Um, nice. Well, I'm yeah, like I said, I'm Terrence. Uh, these are my lovely co-hosts, Tom Sexton and Tanya Turner, who you may already know. <laughs> hey, y'all. Hey, hey. Hey. I'm she. Hey, I'm she, her. I'm so glad to have y'all on today. Um, well, so just Good to, to tee things you, up here a little bit, we're, uh, we're going to be talking about history today, um, and really specifically my favorite kind of history, uh, history that's not often discussed or talked about or taught in mainstream American you know, education and discourse. Um, and of, of, I'm referring, of course, to the black experience in this region we, we call Appalachia. And so you all have this podcast that you started. Can you tell us a little bit about how and why the podcast got started and and what you have looked at so far? Sure. I think we always tell people that to understand the podcast, you have to understand the larger initiative. And William is the best person to explain (laughs) the Black and Appalachian Initiative. I'll see your method. Right, go (laughs) (laughs) Always defer. Always defer. Always going to make you the first one. Yeah, so we we started um, um, doing the thing that kind of local, small local PBS stations do best, and that's produce, you know, very locally specific documentaries and we we did one this was about eight years ago we we produced a documentary about swift memorial institute which is in rogersville tennessee once upon a time and uh we got finished with it and it was pretty good and people were really excited about it and um my boss um chris smith who's the head of production development 
he's he was like oh man we should we should keep doing that and i was like all right and so i just kept doing it um and he kept he kept letting me do it uh and now he now he can't stop me so now now who's the boss um so um yeah so since that time we just continued to pr- produce these sh- these short locally specific documentaries uh one of the ones that we actually finished recently uh was the one about the Eastern Kentucky Social Club uh it was the longest one i've ever helped produce and it it was an hour long and that actually that documentary was because of a conversation i had with Tanya uh we were talking about the the anniversaries of apple shop and and the Eastern Kentucky Social Club, and Tanya sparked my brain to make that documentary about the Eastern Kentucky Social Club. So that's where that came Shout from. Shout out to Tanya. Um, <laughs> oh, I love it. stirs the drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyways, we, we continue to produce these documentaries, and uh, but we also, in doing the documentary production, we saw that there was a lot of stuff that people had in their attics and their basements, and I wanted to try to figure out, like, how it felt irresponsible to go in and, like, and extract these documentaries from communities and not leave them and see this other need, which is, like, helping folks flesh out their local narratives for their own research and own availability and and visibility. And so um, we started building out a community history database. And similarly, a lot of these documentaries is about are about dead black and white history, and we wanted to show that these communities are still alive and thriving today. And so we would take um, start taking uh, documentary photographers with us to document the modern state, of, you know, the modern community in some of these places. And yeah, and then uh, Chris Smith was like, "Hey, uh, the Public Radio Exchange is doing this thing where they will give you money to create a." and training to create a podcast. And I was like, I'm not doing a fucking podcast. I have no interest. I don't have time. Um, I'm not, I don't want to do a podcast. And he was like, man, we should do a podcast. I was like, I think I know some people that might be interested. Mm -hmm. And that's where I come in. (laughs) So uh, they like scouted me out. Chris and William uh, um, like invited me for lunch. They try to like, uh, or coffee or something, whatever. But they they uh, they lured me with this podcast idea, knowing that um, that I do research on Black Appalachia, um, Black Knoxville within the context of Appalachia. And so when they brought the idea to me, I was like, hell yeah, I want to do this podcast. I had the exact opposite response. <laughs> um, I was like, nobody, this is this is all me. Nobody else. I, this is mine. Um, so I got really excited about it, but nervous as hell because like, you know, I'm not a pot. I, I wasn't trained to be a podcaster. Didn't really know anything much about podcasting beyond like, you know, what I've heard and, and you know, anyways, I was. It's it's more it it's more calling, professor, than anything else. You know, what you said, I said it's, it's more a, it's calling, a calling than you know than yes. anything well, else. Yeah. Well, I didn't think it was mine <laughs> at that time, and um, but you know, I was like, whatever, face your fears. So we applied. Uh, we applied for the grant. We we were chosen, and I'm really proud of this because we were one the only television station that applied um, for 
uh, this grant. They usually work with public radio stations. Um, so we were among uh, six other groups, um, and I think 40 total applied that year. So I was, I was really proud. Like, we, we, we had something legit. And uh, we went through this really intensive training with uh, PRX going up to Boston regularly um, to be trained by their phenomenal podcast team. And um, pretty early on, we brought Angela on board um, because we felt like the, the you know, in as we started to define what we wanted the, po- wanted the podcast to be, we really identified a target audience as young black folks in, Ap- in Appalachia and really kind of trying to create a space for them through this podcast. And so we brought on Angela because we wanted the, the podcast to have a chat cast style and to feel light and to feel um, informative, but also um, relatable. And so, um, you know, it's it's been cool to really take some of all of the documentation that William and others have been doing over the years um, and, and, you know, bring it into... Um, to show the, the, the relevance of, of some of the historic stuff to the contemporary moment. And again, like I said, we, we targeted, our target is young black folks in the region because we want them to feel proud of Appalachia and to feel a part of Appalachia, to, to really um, grapple with their belonging to this region, and also to choose to stay in Appalachia and, you know, and to work and fight for, for making it a better place, a place where they can thrive as well. Yeah. For sure, uh, Angela. Do you have any anything you want to add to that? Yeah. So I was brought in. I can't remember. I think was it you, William, or Nkeshi? One of y'all reached out to me. Yeah. And so um, <laughs> it was definitely exciting, but also I guess nerve wracking as a writer. I've never done podcasting before either, and so you know, it's definitely been um, a learning experience um, and helped me also to be more connected to my Appalachian um, identity and roots. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I think you say on one of your episodes, I believe it was the one about Eastern Kentucky coal miners and the Great Migration, is that I think you said like, like a thir- recurring theme that you keep coming back to is that this isn't the only story. That's not the only story. And so it seems to me that, I mean, I want to dig into maybe what your sort of mission statement here is or, or what your sort of um, activist or philosophical approach to this is. What are some of these narratives um, that you're these sort of hegemonic narratives that you're trying to dispel, and and why is that? What is the sort of um, mission statement behind the podcast? Yeah, I think we we definitely you know we all know what we think about when we think of Appalachia, right? The the the, the mainstream narrative of of Appalachia is is white, it's hillbilly, it's rustic, it's Help me out, William. It's topography. backwards. <laughs> it's topography. You know, yeah. the mountains where uh, we laugh about topography all the time because people, you know, will say, "Well, we didn't have slavery in this region because of the topography, right?" right? And so we hear that stuff all the time, and um, and and you know, and so as much as that is like the narrative of, of Appalachia, if you live here or if you if you're from here or you move to this area, for like like I did, you're you're immediately sort of I'm taken aback by how does this sit with the, the fact that I am seeing black people here and that they've always been here and that they have stories that nobody's talking about and they're dealing with issues of race and racism here, right? right? So that was sort of like, for me, it was like, wait, there, there's there's something going on here because, um, 
you know, I was in a sociology department where Appalachia was a was a word that I heard all the time, and people were um, really uh, um, interested in like mountaintop removal and all of that kind of stuff, that environmental history and things like that. And I was like, well, hold on, y'all, nobody's talking about black people in Appalachia, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, and so that's kind of how I got involved in in this work because I'm also like living in Knoxville and seeing that there are racial dynamics that um, that are not being addressed, right? Um, William, you want to jump in some more and talk more about this? Um, so yeah, for me, I was born, um, in Knoxville. And so definitely for me, I think growing up, like I never associated even visiting here. I don't think Appalachia was ever associated, at least to me with, with black people. Um, and definitely something that I didn't, I didn't, did not identify with. So there's definitely, um, I believe like a stereotype and a myth that Appalachia is associated with just white people, basically. Right. Even to the point where black Appalachians yeah. don't see themselves as being right. a part of Appalachia. Well, and I'm, you know, from a biracial family, my mother is white, so I guess I always connected like her with being Appalachian, but not myself. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really like the... Well, I mean, I think that goes... Go ahead, Tanya, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I think that really goes back to the narratives about the region and out that are generated outside Appalachia and how powerful they are because um, we start to like uh, live them, right? It's kind of a like art, uh, life imitating art is what it becomes. Like we see ourselves depicted in a way um, and we start to believe that. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense that even you would see your mom as Appalachian, but not yourself. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Right, it's, right. I don't, I can't even put my finger on maybe as to why, but it's just an association that I had growing up that Appalachia was like country, my mom's country. I don't know. I was raised in Florida. So that's also why I think my yeah. identity's a little di- been disconnected. So yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the ticket sold to us. <clears throat> And just thinking about the idea that Appalachian is country, I think when we think about race and we think about our black experiences, we think rural, I mean, urban areas, right? right. So it's almost like, um, well, black people can't be associated with Appalachia because Appalachia is rural, right? That's right. that's how we think of Appalachia or to the point where, like, we can't think of Knoxville or Pittsburgh, which are relatively larger cities than some other places in Appalachia. And we kind of exclude them from Appalachia, right, right? because they're, they're more urban than they are rural. Right. Well, let me let me ask this. Like, what's so? For example, what's what's the difference in like, say, Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia? Like that association with rurality equals white. But like, if you were to go to like Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, all kinds of black folks live in small towns. Majority. Right. You know what I mean? Like, what 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 is that? What accounts for that disconnect? You think? That's a good I think question. those are de- that those are places we think of as the deep south, yeah. right? So we when we think yeah. of the deep south, we think black people, right? Um, and even when you think of, um, I, I think people would associate Virginia and can and 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 even Tennessee and Kentucky with black folks too, but not necessarily the mountain regions of right. those areas, right? Yeah. Because like I said, when I right. when I came to Knoxville yeah. and was dealing with like this whole Appalachian thing, I knew that Knoxville was different from Memphis or even Nashville, and I had never been to Memphis or Nashville. But I knew that like blackness there or that mm-hmm. or that space was a was a complete different space from here. Right. So I don't know, I think it's the civil rights history. It's Maybe the is deep it like south. the population? Like the percentage of the population too? Maybe I right. don't know. Let me say Nick Wyatt. Come on, granddaddy. Absolutely. Come on, granddaddy. You're going to be part of this podcast whether you like it or not. <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, are y'all are any of y'all familiar with Clyde Woods's book Development Arrested? Have you ever heard of it? I know Clyde Woods. Um, I I feel like I've read parts of that. He's the black geographer, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he wrote this yeah. book about um, the Lower Mississippi Delta and the sort of um, you know it's kind of mixed with Cedric Robinson's black radical tradition methodology. And he talks about the sort of, um, you know, black rural development tradition in the Delta region and how over time that got, you know, that was essentially what the planter block, the plantation block was fighting against um, and trying to bury. And I think that something similar is kind of at work whenever we talk about rural America in general. Um, And, you know, one of the episodes I really liked was, you know, I've already mentioned it already, but I really liked the episode about the Great Migration because you can't talk about political economy in the South without talking about the Great Migration. And, and you know, I think that something you guys point out is in the early 20th century, in some of these counties, like, say, Harlan County, you would have, uh, a, you know, 70% increase in, um, you know, blacks coming in from the South and then 30 years later, by the time 1970 rolls around, 70% of them are gone again. And so I, I, I want to sort of zero in on that history a little bit. Can, we, can you talk a little bit about the Great Migration and, and how it's sort of uniquely and specifically tied to the Appalachian region, Eastern Kentucky and, and West Virginia? Yeah, I think, um, you know, like we, we talked about in the episode, the Great Migration is something that you learn about in school. It's, the, it's one of the things that we get, right? Um, right? And we get it sort of like the shell of the Great Migration with no real, um, it's not a nuanced um, understanding of it. And I think that's what we try to, you know, that's what we, what we try to do in this episode. And, and we relied heavily on um, Carita Brown's um, Gone Home for a lot of that episode um and i think that the 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 point of that book when we when we talk about great migrations even when we think about um what we learn in college even beyond high school it's a very black folks left the south and went to the north narrative it's very they were escaping jim crow and the north somehow seemed to be a better place right um and and the north was no better in terms of like their issues of race but that this industrial revolution that was happening um was you know we saw like factory town like factories um and different work opportunity in these spaces that were drawing people to those southern to northern cities right but the same thing is what brought brought people to appalachia right um in in coal mining towns and and with the railroads the development of the railroads right um but I think when we look at this, uh, when we look at Appalachia and st- understand the Great Migration through looking at this lens, we saw that it was sort of like, it wasn't that straight shot. It wasn't that straight south-north shot, but it, it there were some detours along the way, right? Or yeah. some, some layover stops along the way, and Appalachia was important for that layover stop. And what's important is that like that layover period is like really important in what Appalachia became today, right? Like that, that... Um, that where am I going with this, William? Jump in. Oh, okay. <laughs> Save <Sorry>. me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think 
for like this the the whole idea about the great migration particularly in some of the stuff that I've been looking at recently is like how temporary the migration in and out of uh, the coal fields was and for the vast majority of the people that came in and out of the coal field counties most of them only stayed for a little while and and bounced back out uh, and continued on up north or to other places and that was something that was echoed to me by uh, some of the people I interviewed for the Eastern Kentucky Social Club they was they would say like like yeah we've got all these people uh, in the social club, and all these people migrated to Detroit and Chicago in the 50s and 60s. But the vast majority of the people that came through, say, Lynch, for example, would only stay for like a year or two, and then they would go back out. And I found some of that in some of the records, like the school records here in East Tennessee. I'm thinking particularly in Elizabethan, yeah. where uh, you'd see uh, indications of like these these two or three students would show up and they would be from Harlan County or they'd be from Wise County, Virginia or um, Tazewell County or Russell County. And so, um, and then they, then they were gone, like, you know, after, so this, this kind of internal migration within the region, I think was, is something that was really important to me. Um, because I think in regards to the migration, I think the, the economy that you operated in, like your base economy, kind of determined where where you where you could go or where you even wanted to go. Like if you were for a lot of these families, they ended up being primarily farming families. And so, in you know, if you're in East Tennessee or some of the places that had flatland, you could probably do a little bit better um, than than going on up to Chicago. And one other thing I want to kind of point out, and I don't know how to tie it together, but uh, we've been researching this. There's this. At one once upon a time, there was a black school and black community in in Eatson in Hancock County, Tennessee, or on the border of Hancock and Hawkins County, Tennessee, just north of Clinch Mountain. And um, you, and it's really close to Scott County, Virginia. But uh, I was digging. There's the McKinney family that was there for a really long time, and they set up the school and they uh, taught the kids in that valley for a while. And we were digging, and we were talking to old people, trying to figure out. And so eventually, we were like, well, where the hell did they go to? Like, I don't know any of these McKinney's. The McKinney's I knew were, were not these motherfuckers. So, like, where did they go to? And um, and then finally, some old lady was like, oh, they all went to Detroit. Mm. And I was like, oh. Mm. Yeah. What is interesting to me, though, is that, like, people are living their lives. Like, we look at it now as history and we kind of see the patterns, but people just like living, you know? So, like, yeah. you know, what it be like you are, and, and, and again, like, what, what people are responding to is, is, one, like, racism, and two, like, the need for work and, like, to... Um, Take care of your families, and so wherever that, wherever that takes you, or whatever journey you have to go on to get it, you know, I, I think that that's that's what people are doing. And even now, like some people are making the argument that like the Great Migration never ended because you know black folks are moving back south, um, and so it's right. just like again, people are living, people are searching for how to again escape escape racism and how to take care of their families, and 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 you know, make a living. And I say, I think that's what we're seeing even with, with what's happening now in this movement back south. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Did we, did we cover your question? I mean, kind of what I was driving at, and I didn't do a great job of baking it into the question itself, 
but you you can't tell the story of extractive industry in Appalachia without telling the story of how uh, black people came into the region and and why that is and um, and how they were exploited uh, in in coal mines and in these extractive industries. And I just think it's interesting because you know Tom had this on the sort of outline he sent me, but you know a lot of people. It's like you were saying um, at the very beginning of the episode in Keshi about how, you know, uh, they sort of have this idea of Appalachia as this place where, or, or you were talking about topography. Because there was topography, there was uh, not slavery or anything. And so people start to have this idea that Appalachia is this place where um, some of those dynamics aren't, were never reproduced. And so it becomes swept under the rug when in all you know, reality, in all actuality, we know that's not the case. Well, and so... You I, know I what's, mean, what's crazy about that, Terrence, let me interject real quick. The f- growing up and going to Eastern Kentucky schools, the first time I think I had heard mention of Appalachian slavery, particularly where, like, the coal mines are concerned, is from this, like, book that came out in the 1890s that was, like, the autobiography of this jailer of Letcher County, our home county, and I'm reading this, and he's got this, like, and the whole thing is, like, really self-mythologizing. In, in fact, our, on our last time we got out and did some live shows, me and Terrence did a whole, like, routine about this guy. But his name was Fess Whitaker. And he's got this crazy quote in there that says that, you know, I hated to let my, and it, there was, like, a, a slur referred to his, his slave go, but when the greatest man that ever lived, Abraham Lincoln, says, you have to, you have to. And I was like... And this guy was from Knott County, Kentucky, because I had never heard anything in school mentioned about that ever. Right. You know, like it, it's 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 wild that it took like <laughs> I was an embarrassing age before I really investigated, interrogated that question. You know. Mhm, mhm. I, I remember there's a quote, and I don't. I want to say it's by. Um, I don't know who it's by. I want to say, but it but it's something to the extent that like Appalachia doesn't have. The race problem that the rest of America has, it, it has like color, uh, oh like class, um, what is it, like class problems, right? So it's like you get to excuse Appalachia from having conversations about race and racism because we don't have a race problem because mm-hmm. we don't have black people, right? So if we don't have black people, we don't have to talk about race. We just have class issues, right? right. Well, and I think that kind of what I was driving at there is that the two are intertwined. Very or, much so. You can't tell the story of one without telling the story of the other, and and yeah, you're you're exactly right. And Keshi, they they they, you know, then launder it as this idea of, uh, well, yeah, it's the white working class that's the the main issue here. And in fact, you know, what's what's actually going on is, um, what you're seeing is the reproduction of race and class, and people don't, uh, they they for whatever reason need to believe that that's not the case here. Yeah, or it's an either-or proposition, and not like when you're talking about the working class, you're disproportionately talking about black women, you know? Right. So, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole war on poverty was <laughs> can essentially be boiled down to trying to whitewash poverty in America, <laughs> just to like bring it here, um, put a camera on like the dirtiest kids you could find, and um, it's yeah. We don't have to unpack all and it, that. But. And it hasn't, it hasn't served Appalachia any, you know? Like, it, it hasn't been, like, it's not like, uh, I mean, like, yeah. even the white folks in Appalachia, it hasn't, it hasn't served any, you know, any real 
purpose, I mean, to, to be um, framed in this way and, you know, for this to be the dominant narrative of the region. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, exactly right. Tom, do you have something that you wanted to... Well, I wanted, I wanted to kind of get into a little bit about, again, sort of that myth-making. I think, you know, really um, how I got interested in it was, I think maybe that was, gosh, maybe 2017, Will, when you gave that talk at the First Baptist Church in Weinsburg about, you were doing something about lynching at the time. And we were like... You know, we go to those. You were ordained as a minister that day. The right, the right <laughs> yeah, Reverend. Reverend. <laughs> but it was powerful because, so we're there, and usually I've been going to the MLK Day programming in Whitesburg for, I mean, as long as I've been moved back home. And it's usually this whole thing about, you know, it's crazy. We've never really had problems with racism around here. And I think you probably saw some of that that day too you know it was like that and then Willie mm-hmm. just jumps in there with this very this like all this crazy stuff about lynching that <laughs> nobody had any idea about or no or, or or worse people just wanted to deny the existence of but i wanted to sort of talk about those things a little bit like how that like and in, in in relationship to the deep south that like why like you know, I was in my 20s before I really knew about slavery in, in Eastern Kentucky, but I was in my 20s before I knew about lynching and all these sorts of things and, like, how that sort of gets glossed over in this whole conversation and why. I think that's an interesting question. And, my and f- <laughs> Sorry, I think I'm lagging so hard. My favorite quote from William that day is uh, he said, was the the best myth busting was uh you know that uh romanticized cherokee mammal you all like to talk about it's probably a black woman <laughs> and i just feel like uh a like horror fell on the crowd of these like older church well i got in trouble with that shit uh in london kentucky i'd i'd uh, they invited me to come do the MLK talk, and I said something to that effect. And there was pe- there was some people waiting on me whenever I got done. And they, Let me tell you, young man. I was like, it's not personal. I'm just saying. Oh my goodness! Like, it's probably, it's probably. <laughs> so I, I had to cut. I had to slow that one down. I can't. I have to be careful now. Got mayors quoting you. There was no racism. No, they were saying it's a whole other thing about Cherokee mammal, like you know. know. Yeah, very attached to their Cherokee mammal heritage. Yeah, there's. I I think that in the way that sort of white identity is constructed and reproduced in Appalachia, it does this sort of double um, motion where you have to, on one hand, say that your mamaw was Cherokee, and then on the other hand, say that, you know, we never had any sort of racism here, we never had slavery or anything like that. It, I, think it's, I think it is involved in the very specific way that white identity is reproduced, in, in my opinion. I think that it's, it's really interesting for me after, you know, spending a lot of time digging in, into a lot of this stuff in, in particularly rural areas. That I've come to kind of this conclusion that that our the the base foundation of 
our region, like Eastern Kentucky and Southwest Virginia and Upper East Tennessee, specifically, apart from the indigenous folks that were already here, was this the the older families were these mixed families, the Mullinses and the Collinses and the Goinses and the Gibsons. These are some of the older families in our region, the Baileys, and they're all over the, the place still today. And and these mm-hmm. families, from my perspective, made these these mixed families of of mulatto and Africans and Native American remnant Native American folks and um, uh, white folks mostly white women, I've come to find out, um, were, um, were the, 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 you know, a significant component of, of the, the, the population of this region before the English kind of started stumbling away across the mountain in droves. Um, so that's, that's my perspective. Um, maybe one day I'll have a bunch of data to back it up, but I think that the more I dig and pick, the more these things look the same. And I think we've done talking about like how these things get pushed away. And I think we do a good job. And I don't know if it's an Appalachian phenomenon, but it's definitely a phenomenon in East Tennessee where people do a good job of not of suppressing and not talking about things generally within their families. Whether you know Uncle John is is doing some weird shit to the kids, or like mm-hmm. um, uh, you know such and such as baby is actually by somebody else, um, uh, we do a good job and we overlay that stuff on top of everything that happens. And so, like the kind of the Bible gets laid on top of all things to smother the ugly, and. Um, <clears throat> And I think in order for there to be proper etiquette in town, you got to have that those things enforced in, in a lot of ways. And I think that an exa- a, a very like stark example of that, and, and an easy example of that, is like the whole Melungeon uh, thing, where you had all these families that were of mixed yeah. race, obviously of African descent also, but they had created this very forcible narrative that they are not and were not African or black. And that was the, that narrative and those stories were like, I mean, for good reason. You didn't want to get killed or ran out of town or your shit stolen. So uh, that shit was like pounded into people's families. And, and I think that that as an example is like the way that these things get lost. Uh, people just stop talking about them, suppress them for so long and they stop talking about it. Does that make sense? No, I think that I think that there's a thing there because also, I mean, the fact that like, you know, that Appalachia's here, over here in the mountains, it, it doesn't exclude you from like what's going, like the the general sentiment in the country, right? And like, um, issues of race are still like, you know, what I mean, we're coming out of, we're talking about coming out of slavery, we're talking about Jim Crow America, like even as if we are not participating in the system at the same level that everyone else is, it's still the general ideology of everywhere, right? And so, like, being black is not good anywhere. You know what I'm saying? So, of course, we don't want to talk about that. Of course, we don't want to 
um, we don't want to acknowledge if we have some black relative somewhere. And over the course of time, like if we don't see black and if and if and if 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 African Americans, if we don't have like a huge African American populations uh, population in a place. Then we can kind of we can kind of think that it's insignificant, right? Mm-hmm. And then and and outside of black folks, people don't talk about race. If African Americans are not at the table or like a part of the conversation, race is not a thing. We kind of treat whiteness as if it is not race, right? And so you don't have right. to get into conversations about these things because it just it's not a thing we deal with. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, yep. absolutely. The Melanja thing is is interesting because it, it's it's. And you kind of see, like, sort of echoes of that with, like, the Jessica Krug or the Rachel Dolezal stuff, all that all that sort of thing. Like, you could draw kind of a through line of, like, this sort of anti-blackness that's sort of inherent, but, like, also, like, this weird thing where white folks also want to, like, have a piece of, like, an oppressed identity now, sort of, you know what I mean? But, like, not so much that they have to, like really live in that you know what i mean but just enough to where they can like you know put their card in like the oppression olympics or something like that because that maybe because they don't have any like real experiences to call their own or 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 whatever it is but i've always thought that was interesting in connection to the melungeon thing like that you know it's pretty well established that like if you were claiming melungeon ancestry the truth is you probably had african relatives probably west african sub-saharan african slave relatives but no it's it's we're turkish we're armenian we're you know what whatever it is lost tribe of israel or whatever it's like yeah but the melungeon thing is really interesting because um there's um in in the like i was around like in the it was about 96 97 like the brent kennedy's book came out and there was a whole bunch of stuff going on in East Tennessee and so I was around a lot of that at Clinch Valley College it used to be called and um, uh, uh, but the conversation I never really hear like the conversation about Melungeon families and Melungeon identity and Melungeonness never discusses race it's never a racial discussion when that's the thing that made that mm-hmm. designated these families as this group that designated them as Melungeons. The only thing designated them as Melungeon is it was race. It wasn't like nothing else. There's nothing else. So I'm like, <laughs> why? Well, why isn't this conversation happening? It's like hey, I don't. I don't know. They ain't black. Oh, dude. Sorry. Get it, William? Uh, it's just, it's just kind of funny to me that it's like. What just on the face of it, what's more likely that you had an ancestor that was enslaved here, or that there was like an ancestor that was like part of like a shipwrecked group of of you know Iranian pirates or something <laughs> like that? You know, what I mean? it just it's kind of patently ridiculous on the face of it. Well, if you, I mean, I always looked at like we're in the Western Hemisphere, and there's there's something that we share like throughout the Western Hemisphere. There's some things that we share, and it's. Native American, <laughs> Africans, yes. Europeans, all yes. fucking in different like yes. combinations and different forms of consent. And right. then you have, I mean, yeah. the Western Hemisphere's history is pretty similar from the top to the bottom. So, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, true. It's true. Yeah. Um, Tanya, did you have anything you wanted to? I'll just, I'll just wanted to um, lift 
what William was saying about the data and how so much of what you all of the work it looks like you're doing is the very unsexy, dusty, just like shit work of digging through files and uh, reading tons of papers and piecing together a story that just hasn't been told. Um, and especially recently on your all social media, you've been doing these um, county spotlights of migration data that have been really um, wild to look at. So um, I was wondering if you would just say a little bit about that and kind of what that process is like and um, how hard that is, I'm sure. I mean, even a lot of stuff you post, I'm just like, it has to be so painful to just be Not torn if your name is William information Isom. like this all the time. Um, but uh, and connected to that this guy <laughs> thrives on this stuff <laughs> yeah before we wrap up i really want to hear about the work you all do to like lift up the beautiful um work of people like um buford delaney and and others yeah it's um so there's i guess a couple of things the the stories are are tough a lot of the times um i i think we do these community history days where we sit down with community members all day long and scan in their stuff and talk and do oral histories. And we had a particularly long day in Bristol um, back before, back when you could go talk to old people in person. And um, I left, you know, it was a long day, but then I left doing oral histories all day long. And I left and I was like, man, I'm sore, hurting a little bit. I've been sitting in that chair. And so I got... Uh, there was a, a, a masseuse in Knoxville, and so I went. I was like, "Man, I'm gonna go give a massage." You know, I'm gonna do it up. <laughs> and then um, she got to like rubbing my shoulders, and I fu- I fucking lost it. Like I like bleh. you were crying. And I was just like boohoo. Yeah. Oh my god! And I was like, and I was like, oh, it's, wow. that's not from driving. And yeah, you were holding it. Yeah. Wow. So it's like so that was a a moment for me where I was like, oh, I have to pay attention to this i'm not just absorbing history historical stories like i'm yeah yeah Person. it's fucked up and i'm carrying it i'm carrying it back home let's go let's go yeah. to the house yeah. and so um but the data just a quick note about that we a lot of this stuff i help put together is stuff that i wish existed mm-hmm. for my family and so uh lots of times when we come up with ideas i'm like i'm like yeah like i wish like in the back of my head subconsciously i'm like i wish i had this when i was trying to like research my family's stuff or i wish my family had this this kind of information um it's kind of the motivation like in the back of my head for doing this and the census data stuff came about because of that i was like you know what what's a really useful tool for families would be if they had the slave, the 1860 slave schedule and the 1860 census data for free people of color and then the 1870 free people of color census data for each county and so basically what we're doing we're we're going into the, those two decades and pulling out the black people and basically creating a black census for those counties county specific because there's a bridge that's really hard for people to uh cross and that's from national emancipation you know after the civil war to before the civil war when when chattel slavery was still a thing and so that bridge is the hardest hunk for people black folks researching their history to to kind of cross 
and so that's a that's a mechanism uh, I thought I hope will be useful for folks and we actually got some money from the 400 year commission to be able to do that work and Kathleen Kelly is the sole person that's responsible for doing that that's what she does uh, all day every day and then I go in and, and clean it up and put it together and it is very dry so it's it's like how do I make a meme that makes this look interesting that's my task <laughs> while Kathleen <laughs> Kelly is doing the labor I'm making fucking memes <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness um, well I mean I guess we're, we're probably coming towards the end here so maybe we can start uh, either wrapping things up or we can start tackling the really big <laughs> Uh, questions that take you know, 20 or 30 minutes to answer um, but so like yeah so maybe just to sort of start wrapping things up here I, I kind of just wanted to pick y'all's brains a little bit on and this is a very big question but what what does the black experience in Appalachia and the way that it is normally sort of constructed and, and reproduced what, what do you think it says about America as a you know as a whole I'm not saying that the whole history of America or anything but maybe just where we're at right now um, is there any sort of larger things we can we can take away and and make pertinent to our current moment uh, hmm. it is a big question That's a big question. very big question <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I ask is, you know, a lot of the podcast has been, you know, in the very first episode, you dialed in on um, all of the Emancipation Day c c uh, celebrations just from this summer and the sort of, um, you know, context that all of this sits in with the pandemic and with George Floyd and, and, and the protests and everything. Can you ask, think, can you ask the yeah. question again? Okay. Just so I can, like... Yeah, is there are are there any sort of from what you've researched so far, what you found, and and you know what you are working towards in future episodes, are there any sort of takeaways that we can use to either learn more about America where we're currently at, or where we're going, or I don't know. Is that too? That might be too vague of a question. I mean, I, I think it's definite. It's a it's a huge question, and there are a lot of different parts that we can look at this question. I think one of the things that I always sort of sit with, out of my own research on Black folks in Knoxville, is that Appalachia, as much as there are place specific experiences that are important. Um, to highlight for one helping us to reimagine and rethink about Appalachia in general to, to kind of shift the narrative and, and to make it more um, a richer narrative of the region it's also I, I'm also cautious about making Appala Appalachia exceptional right um, I believe yeah. that what we see in Appalachia, what we see in terms of the black experience in this region is not very much different from what we see in black experience in any part of America. It might help us to understand nuances a little bit better, but black folks are dealing with um, the same issues regardless of where in America we live. R issues of race and racism is something that, and, and that's why I said when we think about um, great migration as leaving the North, leaving the South and going North, going to the north didn't lead us to freedom and that's why a lot of times people are returning back to the south right yeah. and it's the same thing with appalachia like there's no space in this everything under the canada border is the south right and appalachia is way up south right and and so for me um 
there as much as I want to look at this region and to see how we can rethink uh, uh, um, this region or reimagine this region by understanding the black experience in the region, I want to also say that there's nothing exceptional about the region in terms of um, issues of race and racism in America. But I also understand that that there are those histories that you were talking about, those histories of racial mixing and like um, and, and cultural mixing that are, that are important and I think that that need to be highlighted and we see them in a contemporary period in like things like protest in the region right in small towns um, there's something there that I haven't been able to dig in into a, a ton of but but I'm I'm it's percolating and maybe William you could talk more about that or whatever well I, I would say like that even that history of, of like historical historically mixed families is not unique to well, the region either yes, like you so yeah. anywhere you could pick anywhere in the south and right. you'd find that those those same communities and so i i think uh i think you said it best so i'm gonna just leave it there okay well yeah. <laughs> there goes that yeah, you 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 came up with a very good answer to a very mediocre question i try i try <laughs> you're thanks, pretty, thanks, you're pretty thanks. good you're pretty good the, you know i'll tell you this terrence that was the that was the um the gist of my dissertation i think that's what i took away from it so i gave you what i've been sitting with for a long time so good the abstract that's yes. great <laughs> Well, um, well, so I, yeah, I think we're probably towards the end here, um, you know, and, and so I guess I just want to open it up to Tom and Tanya. If you guys have anything you want to, um, you know, clarify, ask, get out there before we cl- start wrapping things up. Jump in there, T. I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to formulate mine. <laughs> well, I definitely want y'all to plug all the places that people should be following y'all and supporting you. Um, and like I mentioned before, I, I would love to hear um, about the projects that are kind of in the works or like um, your all's favorite pieces of the Black and Appalachia media project that have really been about the joy of the Black experience. Um, like, for instance, I mentioned uh, Buford Delaney. I, I may not be saying his name right, but um, from the the artist from Knoxville, I was in Detroit in February. It's like the last trip I took. And at the Institute, the Art Institute up there, um, the place uh, that houses the um, Diego Riviera, murals just like incredible incredible breathtaking works um also while i was there they had a um a collection of detroit residents own personal black art collections and so it was like a borrowed collection um which was like a pretty cool representation of um what uh, local black Detroit people communities had collected of their own art and there were several Buford Delaney pieces and I would not have known anything about him and I was able to just like really appreciate those in a whole different way because of your work um, so even though I know a lot of this is really painful um, stuff to go through there's also you've you've been documenting so much of the joy um, and beauty of what black people have done in this region mm-hmm yeah, I think um, upcoming things that we're kind of cooking on, and I'll let Nkeshi talk about upcoming podcast things, thingies, stuffs. Um, uh, we're continuing to do, uh, you know, the census data work, and we're um, working on a lot of these these historically, you know, some of these black school narratives, trying to flush out the history of that stuff. Um, in Carter County and Hancock County, Tennessee, and um, uh, 
So we're we're continuing to work on that, and I think for me, a lot of the 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 stuff about the schools is really kind of uplifting and positive kind of work because you see you see these these community members come together and make something out of nothing, which I think is really always really inspiring for me to see, and the things that people are able to create and do, and how some of these schools like pro- proliferated teachers out of them that then went into other rural communities and taught, and how the black communities like moved. There was incredible movement between like Eastern Kentucky, West Virginia, uh, Southwest Virginia, East Tennessee, and Western North Carolina. Like people were moving all the time and between those places. And so those those are some of the stories that I want to flesh out um, and we're working on now. Uh, we're working on a Knoxville College documentary about the historically black college that was in uh, Morristown. That's coming up. And we've been getting some of our films translated into Spanish, Spanish subtitles for some of them. And uh, we just got the short film about Leslie Riddle uh, translated into Spanish for Spanish subtitles, and which I'm, I've always wanted to do. And it's really fucking cool to be able to have something like that translated into another language. And, um, uh, and that's one of the stories that I think is really exciting for me is... Uh, uh, you know how this guy, who was you know he was a he was a, a rounder like he had shootouts and all kinds of crazy stuff in Kingsport, but he he like participated in the creation of country music with the Carter family, and um, without him, the Carter family wouldn't have had what they had. So I think that that's a really inspiring story for me, um, and all all to say like no matter where you scratch in in this. Um, in our region, like there's there's a good vast black history narrative anywhere. You could walk out your door, and I'd guarantee you on your street that there's something there. And um, yeah, and that's inspiring for me too, because everywhere I look, there I am. No, not everywhere. <laughs> Talk about the podcast. I'm gonna shut the book up. This guy, oh my god. Uh, <laughs> The podcast, um, you, you know, I guess one of the cool things for us is just how much um, work, you know, William and others have put into building the initiative. And so there's so much for us to choose from in terms of content. Um, what we're working on for this season, a couple of things we have that we're cooking up right now, we're working on um, on an episode about the historic elections of Amelia Parker, who's a city councilwoman here in Knoxville. We're working on an, a Halloween episode where these folks are taking me extremely out of my con- uh, comfort zone. Um, we are working on um, a food episode for the holidays, um, something maybe that deals with uh, the the relationship between black Appalachians and native folks in, from the region. Um, for maybe around Thanksgiving. Uh, those are some of the ones that we've got along the way. Of course, we're going to have to tackle slavery in the region. Um, didn't really want to start there, but it's coming. <laughs> um, and uh, Nikki well, Giovanni. Nikki Giovanni, yeah. We did a really amazing interview with Nikki Giovanni. We also had a, a really cool interview. Yes. <laughs> we had a cool interview with Disha Filia from Pittsburgh. Um, so we're excited about those. And then, you know, yesterday, last night, uh, there was an email from some, some folks that did some... Re, did a children's book on 
uh, black woman in Knoxville who voted for the first time in 1919. So I'm curious to explore that. Um, we've had a f- uh, people reach out to us with episode ideas, and, and we really love those. Um, unfortunately, we don't always get to respond to them, but that one is definitely one that I want to see where it will take us. So we've got some good stuff cooking up. And, and like I said, because there's so much um, content and so much work that's already been done, so much research gathered and, and you know stories collected, we have tons to, to pull from. That's awesome. That is incredible. Um, a funny connection, Amelia Parker, you mentioned the mm-hmm. um, councilwoman in, in Knoxville, right? Yes. Her dad actually leads a black church community here in Hazard. I've yes. worked with him several times. Yes, uh, awesome. So yeah, that's a Pan-Appalachian family. <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome. Okay. I know she's mentioned her dad, and I think, um, I don't know, I didn't know that he was a, um, a, a religious leader, but I feel like he was on a city council or something at some point, wasn't he? I don't know. Anyways, I wouldn't. I mean, I would. I would believe that he. Yeah, he's very. He's very involved with politics around here. He. Um, he even went up for Obama's inauguration. <laughs> the DC. He's a very political man. Okay. T- tell Tanya about the the interview with the the book lady, the Secret Lives of the Church ladies. Oh, I think she'll do yeah. That. So we so we read this. We read and interviewed um, Disha Filia um, and her new book. It's called The Secret Lives of the Church Ladies, and um, she's she lives in Pittsburgh. She's not from Pittsburgh, but she lives in Pittsburgh. And we had an opportunity to talk with her. First of all, the book is something. Something special. If you are into short stories, if you are a church lady yourself, um, (laughs) I mean, it is it is is spicy but subtle. So I'll give you that much. Um, But it is an amazing piece of work, and she is fun. Um, So yeah, if you if you're if you're into that sort of stuff, check her out. She might be um, a good person for y'all to know as well. She's been getting, because she's published with West Virginia University Press, she's been getting um, welcomed into the Appalachian um, family. Uh, so, yeah. What was her name again? Disha Filia. Okay, cool. Um, well, you, you you guys have done a great job. I really bright uh, Black and Appalachia. Are you are y'all on any other streaming services? We are on all of the platforms, all of, everywhere where you can buy, listen, take get podcast we're there (laughs) we're there we're all 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 the places um and of course our social media is a lot and shit now like i I don't have to pay Mm -hmm. for books anymore which is nice you know so yes (laughs) all the free things whatever perks we can get we want them i want them (laughs) unless in case you yellow mean road then i'll buy well listen it's coming it's coming um we're working on that we're cooking that up Well, that's great to hear. Go check that out on social media and on your streaming services. William Isom, Dr. Nkechi Elamine, Angela Dennis, thank you 